RP3 is ready to step his game up and grab the mic for the latest edition of the Rap Game Podcast. Here is Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Hashtag Funbelt. That's the hashtag, the moniker, if you will, of the Sunbelt Conference. The conference that's in the same footprint as the mighty SEC. A conference that has gotten a lot of good publicity in recent years, whether that's coaches like Neil Brown or Scott Soderfield leaving the conference to take Power 5 jobs, whether that's last year both Coastal Carolina and the Louisiana Raging Cajuns being ranked in all the polls, including the college football playoff ranking. There's a buzz about the Sunbelt, and we're about to talk about the Sunbelt Conference, previewing the upcoming football season, talking about the new coaches, and we're also going to squeeze in a little wrestling talk with our next guest. He is the ULM beat writer and columnist for the Monroe News Star. He's my good friend, the one and only Adam Hunsucker. Adam, good morning, bud. How you doing? I'm doing good, my friend. I think this is the first time we've done this on the uh, on the po- on the podcast platform. I mean, right, radio, we've got that down cold, so it's, it's, it's good. It's new frontiers. I like it. Um, I'm sure it will be a repeat. Uh, you will be a repeat guest here on the old, the old podcast, bud. So just go ahead and prepare yourself. Just go ahead and start planning out time to be on here. Well, you you, you know me. I don't. I will. I will. I will glad. I will gladly trick myself out to any of these outlets and any of these shows. So we will. We will be doing this. For a while. <laughs> uh, all right, bud. Let's start. You know, look, everyone had to deal with COVID last year. Everybody in college athletics, everybody in society had to deal with it, uh, including you and I. So, how do you feel the conference and how do you feel Commissioner Keith Gill dealt with the pandemic last year? And what do you make of his statements? heading into this coming season that uh, even with the Delta variant out there, that there will be no uh, rescheduling of games, that they will be essentially forfeits. Well, here, here's what we're doing, and, and just reading between the lines with all this. I say we, I'm talking about the Sun Belt. And I get their thinking, and I don't, I, I don't, I don't disagree with it. But if, you, if you're Keith Gill or if you're any of these schools in the conference, you can't force these coaches and these players to get this vaccine. That that's a whole a whole tapestry of, of issues that would probably take another podcast. But what you can do is you can make it entirely uncomfortable to do your job or play your sport if you don't get it. So and I think that's kind of going to be standard operating procedure for everybody: college football, the NFL. It's just the way it's going to go. So so when Keith came out and said, um, you know, if you get if you get the vaccine, you don't have to be in the testing protocol. But if you don't you will be masked up at all times. You will be in, get, getting your nose swabbed every week and all that. It didn't, it didn't shock me. And, and frankly, this is the way this is the way you have to do it. As long as you know we have people that aren't going to get this vaccine. And look, don't get me wrong. There are, there are some legitimate reasons to not to not get this vaccine. Whether you've got you know where, you know you you got an issue with the immune system. Maybe you're a lady and you're pregnant or trying to get pregnant and do not want to do that. I totally get it. But by and large, for most of us. Like, there's no reason to not get this jab and try to keep this thing rolling as best we can. And I think that's what this entire industry wants to do because we don't want to be where we are last year, where, you know, <laughs> I just feel like felt like every Monday, you know, getting for me, getting up early and preparing for the week and not knowing what's going to happen. I mean, it's okay. I, I, I guess we're playing. We're, we're going to be under the assumption that we're playing. Well, then you get, which, which I think I still think was my was was my favorite part of the, or, or, or I guess the part that amused me most about the whole pandemic last year was just 
you know, you, it, would, it would start Sunday night because ULM is very good about giving you the word about press conferences to make sure that you are there or watching, as was the case last year. But when you rage into Sunday night and you haven't heard something, that was a pretty good indication they weren't playing that week. So let's just, let's just, let's just all do what we can to not end up back there again. And I, I think, think this is the start of it. I also think that Gill – who has been, you know, criticized and let's be honest, in a lot of occasions, rightfully so, for a lack of being out front on things, a lack of leadership in the public realm, uh, especially when it comes to promoting the conference and to dealing with issues inside the conference. You know, I also think this is his way of letting it be known. We're not going to have the embarrassment that came with having the conference championship game canceled at the 11th hour. I mean, I, I remember, Adam... We put together a special show here at the station. I had got my airline tickets. I had already went to bed, and I woke up, and I was woken up by a notification because my phone kept getting blown up that the conference championship game had been canceled, and we were flying out that Thursday night, and the game was supposed to be played on Saturday. And you didn't crown a champion. I mean, you were the only conference that didn't crown a, a, a champion with a championship game. You didn't have one. That's a big embarrassment, especially for a conference that wants to be the top dog in the group of five. And to be honest with you, I don't think Gil wants to have that happen again. No, I'm not sure if embarrassment is the right word because there's nothing you could have done about that when that played out. But it was bad for all around, and it could have been worse. Honestly, Keith Gill should be thanking his lucky stars that Tulsa didn't beat Cincinnati in the American Oh, my God. If that would have, oh, my God. If that would have happened? Oh, God, Adam. Yeah, if that happens, there's a very good chance the winner of the Sub Belt Championship game is in a New Year's Six. And as we both know from talking to Keith over last week, that is the next goal for this conference is to finally get a team in this New Year's Six game, I believe. I be, you know, no, never mind. They have Sub Belt and Conference USA are the only ones that have not had one in a New Year's Six game yet. So for, for that <laughs> to, to have happened, that would have been the absolute worst-case scenario for, for this conference. And, but, and I agree with you that, no, they cannot take this chance again, especially with what you're going to have because – you look at it on paper, this conference is loaded for bear. We, 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 not, not just with the talent not on the field, but look on the sideline. you got Billy Napier and Jamie Chadwell back for another year. I don't think that will be the case in 2022. Plus everything, every, every, plus the additions you've made to the conference. you had a guy like Butch Jones. South Alabama lures in Kane Womack, and they've, they've thrown it down. They've decided we're going we're, we're gonna to be about this winning now. And you can see from all the all – the, all the improvements they've made, the new stadium and the stuff they're doing. That oh, know, the new really stadium, John Hancock Stadium, is magnificent. By the way. Oh yeah, I, I was I laughed at, at talking to Kane about it. He said, "Well, when I was, because three years ago when he was the defensive coordinator there, that was an intramural field. Yeah, it was. And now maybe <laughs> now maybe may the nicest stadium in this in this entire conference. So this is really the Sun Belt's time to shine, and they can't take another chance if something happened like it did in 2020. What do you make of Gill's leadership so far? I mean, obviously, young commissioner, right? Um, uh, historic uh, being hired to be the commissioner of the Sunbelt Conference, but a lot of people were very upset with him because it felt like he did not promote the fact that he had not one but two teams ranked in the top 20 in the college football rankings last year, and he should have been promoting the hell out of the conference. He didn't. What do you make of his job, uh, his performance so far as the commissioner of the Sunbelt? Well, it's not that point you hit on is not just last year. You go back to the year before and talk to those folks at Appalachian State. They, oh, yeah. they, they felt the same way about, you know, what they had going on on, on one lost team. But, you know, I would describe it so it, – it's just, it's just so different than what we were used to with Carl Benson. So, well, I, I would 
with Keith is I would say his his three three years have been pretty nondescript. Mm, that's a fair because it's just, that's fair. It, it's it's just not the same. Whereas you know Carl Carl was always the one that was thinking outside of the box and doing and doing different things and maybe the maybe was the most accessible commissioner in in, in college football. I mean it was nothing. I'm sure you have stories just like this just to get a random call from Carl. On whatever, whatever day, hey, uh, feel like doing something this week? Just let me know. You know, just just wanting to be out there, and that that really hasn't been Keith Hill. And I think that goes back to if you look at his background and how it comes up, how he came up. It's very conventional. It's you know kind of stayed what you expect from a conference commissioner. It's just bland is probably too strong of a word because I, I ain't trying to ain't trying to run Keith down too much, but it's just it, it's just. You know, when you think of this brand of this league and the fun belt and excitement and chaos can happen at any moment, you kind of have the opposite of that at the commissioner, I think. And uh, look, I, I agree with that as well. And this is, we're talking 2021, and you have to have the leader of your conference be somewhat dynamic. I mean, I'm not saying he has to be Greg Sankey, but you have to have a guy or a, or a gal, a man or a woman, whoever's in charge of your conference to be dynamic, to give access to the media, to talk to the media, or at least know how to you get your message out there, you know, uh, by maybe ma- even manipulating the media. You, you have to be savvy that way, and he hasn't been. It's not to say that he can't, but I, th- I think that's I think that's a fair criticism is that he just hasn't done that. And in this time of age, especially with realignment all happening around us, Adam, man, you got to be out front on things. You got to be visible. You got to make sure that the Sun Belt is constantly in the news, and he just doesn't do that. Well, and the things they have got in out in front on are kind of unnecessary, like 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 the logo change, for instance. Like, what was the point of that? Like, that, that's something that's still fine, kind of preposterous. Is you get here and you feel the need to change the logo for what reason? I mean, that's kind. I mean, that, that change that, for that, change that, sake. Well, yeah, it, and, it, and it rubbed me. It kind of rubbed me as a sign of insecure leadership. Which maybe we'll see, you know, going forward whether that whether that's true or not. And I also wonder because you know when Keith first got this job, and you know pre-pandemic there was always rumblings about you know what was going to change. I mean he turned over the entire staff in the conference office, folks we've worked with for years, and there was a period we didn't know anybody, we didn't know who to call if we needed something. And that's correct. You get these other other rumors. Maybe maybe they're trying to get out of New Orleans. You know, I want to talk about moving closer to the ESPN offices, trying to be more affiliated with the network, which I guess in the grand scheme of things isn't the worst thing because as the past two weeks have made clear, who is actually running college football, and it's them. Mm-hmm. But, and, you know, and all that thing got I kind of put on hold for, uh, after the pandemic because, I mean, it just wasn't going to be feasible. So, you know, maybe that was just an example of people talking. It have changed. Sometimes change rubs folks the wrong way, but – as of now, you know, I would agree with you. I don't think, I don't see Keith Gill as being, being nowhere near as dynamic as Carl Benson was or the outside-the-box thinker. Maybe that changes. And but, why don't, and, and and why don't we have a neutral site for the conference championship game when other conferences do? And when the, the, the conference itself, Adam, has neutral sites to hold its championship tournaments, why don't we have a neutral site championship game? Well, I'm not so much on the neutral site championship game for football. I mean, that's just kind of. I mean, that, that, that that's not, that's not a, that's not an issue. I've really thought like is is you know so, something that's holding the conference back in any dynamic. I mean, you got a footprint to do it, sure. But you know, and, and a lot of times you see in the G5, they want to have these games on a campus, 
and um, and and do it that way. You know, we didn't get we didn't get a chance to see see that last year, but I would say when the games have been held held at App, at least just from watching them, you may have been to some. They look like good atmospheres. I mean, that's something they could that we that we could could see down the pipe. But right now, I think you know there are, there 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 are bigger issues in this league right now than you know whether whether it's been than your than your championship game being a new, neutral site mainly. And this is one you know maybe it's not fair to fair to beat up Keith with right now, but because these bowl because these bowl agreements are locked into place for I believe like six more years. But I think the next step for this conference is not only getting into the New Year's Six, but you have to do something that you have a better tangible reward for teams at the end of the season, like Coastal Carolina going undefeated, and they deserve better than the Cure Bowl. Yeah, you can talk about how great the Cure Bowl is. Maybe it's fun to bend to. I never really have to worry about what bowl destinations for the team I cover. But um, at the same time, Coastal deserve more than the Cure Bowl after that undefeated regular season. I, I, I agree totally with you with, with the bowl agreements. And he even mentioned how big of a deal it was that the Raging Cajuns were in a non – conference affiliated bowl game last year right and i'm you know because of, of a different tv and they actually got you know a, a, a better uh, television product so to speak a, def- a better outlet than what they typically get but you look you, you have two teams that were ranked in the top 20 of the college football playoff rankings man isn't it your job as a commissioner to try to do whatever you can to make sure they get in the, the best spotlight for the actual conference i mean no offense. Look, I'm from Mobile. I used to love going to Lad People Stadium. It's a dump, and I, I still love it. It's in my heart. But sending a team to Mobile to play there, where now they play at John Hancock Stadium, but sending a team to play in Mobile or you know play in Birmingham is is not moving the needle, man. It's not helping the conference. It, it just gets lost in the shuffle of all the other bowl games that a lot of folks, let's be honest, don't even pay attention to, Adam. They don't care. Well... I won't say they don't pay attention because, I mean, you, it depends on how you're look, looking at it. I mean, this is basically our holiday program for the TV networks, and we're all going to sit and watch it because we sit at home over the holidays. You know, there's only so much family time a person can take, especially depending on your dynamics there. But, you know, as far, as far <laughs> That's as, a discussion uh, for another day. That'll be a different podcast, yeah. uh, Adam. But, but, when you look at, but when you look at the job Keith is or isn't doing promoting the teams, it's kind of like, it's kind of it's almost like a self fulfilling prophecy in a way because it's like you, you can you can't prove it or you can't disprove it because somebody can come back and say well you know these are behind the scenes discussions and things that need to be happening and they're not in the public eye and all, all that and the other well maybe but to your point yes Keith is not Mike is not like Mike Oresco who's been yeah. out there beating this drum for the Amer- American in this whole Power Six thing which is you know, until we got this Texas and OU bombshell, was it taking hold even more as, you know, people are getting their hopes up about the 12-team playoff. And I do think a G5 team can get in there, but it's not going to be it's not going to be an ideal draw. I don't care whether you win or win your conference or not. But, you know, you, you could stop and smell the roses before we got here the last week and say, hey, maybe this Power 6 thing is, is a deal, is an actual deal now. But I think um, – I, you know, maybe that's not Keith's personality. Maybe it's not fair to judge him on, on something he's not. But that's what this league needs. And if this league is not getting what it needs, then that also leads to another another discussion. Yeah, whether or not he's the long-term answer as um, as the commissioner. You're, you're exactly which, correct. Which I, I which, you know, I don't really get I don't really get the sense that he wants to be here very long. This seems like a to me. This seems like a a wayward stop on the way to something else, which is, 
a lot different than, again, maybe I'm comparing him too much to Carl Benson, but you're going to invite that comparison when you followed a guy who basically walked this league back from oblivion and turned it into arguably the best G5 league in the country 10 years later. Is the Sunbelt Conference the best group of five league in the country, or is that still a title that could be rightfully held by the American? I think it could still be, be be held by the American, but there's an argument to be made for it, and I wouldn't think you'd be crazy for making it in favor of the Sunbelt Conference. When you just look when you just look at the growth and upward mobility, and it's still going. I mean, granted, you look at the schools in this league, they're not exactly, you know, financially on that American level yet, but they're continuing to grow. And you look at the brand of football; it's you know, as far as the G5, it's outstanding. It's right up, it's right up there with the with the American. So, you know that that's where that's where I think um, that, that's where I think you, you can make that case. And um, you know, if it was up to me, I would still lean towards the American side of things for now. But I mean, some belts on the come. We can all agree with that. I would agree with that as well. Let's talk about the conference and let's talk about the upcoming football season. I want to focus on the Eastern Division or the East Division, rather, if we will, Adam. It's it's loaded from top to bottom. When when Troy, who's one of the more traditional powers, is picked to finish fifth, you know how deep that side of the ledger is, so well, to speak. Exactly. Remember when we went to divisions three years ago and we all thought the East was going to suck? I mean, that was fun. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because now – you have Coastal, your defending champ. You have an App State team that uh, is flying under the radar, which is weird because they're App State and they won nine games a year ago. Uh, Troy, a lot of people, the vibe from media day there inside the Sheraton Hotel was could see a big bounce back year out of Troy after a couple of five-win seasons. They could be kind of back up. And then the two Georgia schools that always feel like they get overlooked um, but they're always in contention for the conference championship or at least going to bowl games in Georgia State and Georgia Southern. Of those uh, of those five, who do you like to win the division, Adam? I'm going to call my shot now. I think Appalachian State wins the league. Mm. I really do. I, I think if, Ch- if we see the Chase Bryce we saw at Clemson and not the one we saw at Duke, they will win the league. Because, I mean, you know, with all um, – you know, all due respect, all respect to your, to your, to your folks down there in Cajun country. That's the best program in the league. They've done it through three head coaches now. They've got a system. They've tailored that system to fit their new home at FBS and in the Sun Belt, and it's on the climb. They've got a unique deal to sell being up there with the mountains, and it attracts a special type of kid who goes up there and thrives. I think that's what's interesting when you see what's going on with Scott Satterfield at Louisville right now is they're trying to recreate that app system in a metro market, and it's not working. It's because it's unique to what they do in Boone, and they do it very well. So that's my pick to win the East and the entire league. I think um, you know the Troy deal is going to be interesting to follow because if they don't win some games this year, they're getting fired. Mm-hmm. And they know it. Everybody knows it. I mean, they and, you know, I like Chip Lindsey. I've got some friends on that staff, too. And, you know, they – Troy's not spending that kind of money and building the facilities they built to go five and seven. And, you know, it's been going coming off the Neil Brown years where Neil Brown, you know, maybe got overshadowed a little bit at the end by Scott Satterfield, Billy Napier, but he did get a power five job out of it. Neil Brown's an outstanding football coach. He did some good things there. So, you know, Troy's got the preseason um, defensive player of the year. So, I mean, there's going to be some things expected there. But, you know, if you want to look at it, you know, the half, the half full approach, Coastal was finished, was picked to finish last in that division last year. And we saw that with how that happened. So 
they can get some things straight on offense. Maybe they can have a bounce back year. I also think uh, Chad Lunsford at Georgia Southern, kind of kind of quietly on a hot seat there because they've regressed. Yeah, and they're to the point to where maybe they haven't totally passed them yet. But uh, Georgia State is running neck and neck with them now, and that's not something that fan base is going to take kindly to because I mean this. They may be the SEC of, of the Sun Belt fan bases and that they're so used to winning and winning big and doing it a certain way and being champions that that's what they expect, and they're not going to put up with anything less. So I think, I think, I think the East is all kinds of interesting this year. I think there's way more storylines in there than the West, which is, ugh, God, there's a lot of bad football in the West. There's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of bad teams right now in the West. I would agree with that. To stay on the East, and I'm going to say something else here, I don't necessarily disagree with your point about App State winning at all. I will say this. Whoever wins the Sun Belt, I do not believe is going to have a shot at a New Year's Day 6 bowl game because I don't see a team from either division coming out of their conference schedule clean. I think every team is going to have a loss, and that includes App State, and that includes Colson, and that includes Louisiana. I just think the because of the, te- the, the amount of talent – Here's the other thing. So many of these teams, App State, Coastal, the Raging Cajuns, across the board, so many of them have those super seniors that all decided to come back for another year because the NCAA granted it, Adam. That's going to make all these teams on the same playing field for me. And I think you could see non-conference wins posted by the Sun Belt like they similarly do every year over a Power 5 team, whether it was Troy beating LSU, whether it was App State beating pretty much everyone, the Raging Cajuns last year beating Iowa State. I think you're going to see that again. I think you're going to see that again by multiple Sun Belt teams. But I also think that you're going to see them lose to other teams in their conference, and I think that's going to hold them, uh, going to keep them from getting into that New Year's Day 6 bowl game. You know, here, here's where it gets interesting to me. And even though I'm on a record, I think App's going to win the league this year. At the same time, I think the Cajuns have the have the best shot of getting to the New Year's Six out of anyone in the Sun Belt if they can have that type of year, just because of the schedule they played. Even with one, even with one conference loss, I think they might could do it, depending on what they do against Texas and what they do against Liberty. That's correct. If they can see, if they can beat Iowa State last year, I don't see why they couldn't go to couldn't go to Austin and beat Texas. You know, I mean, especially especially with this veteran group as they have in that in that Liberty game, if they can get those two, even if say they got a loss in the conference slate, I think they might could do it if they win the league, just because so much of this is based upon who you played and the type of schedule you have, and you know, those are not only marquee games for the Cajuns, but some they can you know be competitive in and possibly win. And I don't disagree with that that they they have probably the best path for that. But look, they got to play App State on a on a freaking Tuesday, which I hate those midweek games. Going up on a Tuesday. Oh, going up on a Tuesday. They also play Georgia State, which that's a that's a game I was at last year in Atlanta at Old Turner Field, and which by the way I loved because I was grew up a diehard Braves fan, and watching that game and they won that late. You know that was a dogfight for them, Adam. That Georgia State team is sneaky good. I like them to make some noise in the East. I agree with you. I believe App State wins the East. I think you're going to see Coastal just drop off a little bit. I think last year was a magical season for them. Okay, It was a magical season for them. Everything happened right for them. But now they're going to have the target on their back. 
And they don't have the experience to dealing with that like App State does. And I think App State is also salty as hell about losing that game that they did to Coastal last year. They probably felt like they probably should have won it. And that's kind of in their crawl, so to speak. So I expect App State to win the East, but I don't think you're going to have anyone come out of the East with a clean ledger. And I agree with you. Troy, uh, Lindsey, I like him too, but expectations both there and for Lunsford at Georgia Southern are always high. Maybe too high, you could argue, but they're always high. They're going to be fighting it out. The East is going to be an absolute dogfight this year. Well, and the other thing working against Chad Lunsford too is they actually had a chance to hire Jamie Chadwell when in that last search and opted to stay the course with Lunsford. So there you go. Um, Oh yeah, that's not. That's not. Yeah, that's that. that that's not the information that you want to know. <laughs> but um, but you know Georgia State. That's the team that you know coaches in this conference talk about is saying that they're on the come because their talent is just getting better and better every year. I mean, they've always had it. They've always had it at the skill positions, but I mean, they're kind of getting better there in the trenches too. So that's that's the one to watch. That's also a team. Um, if say just a hypothetical realignment scenario, uh, I think they would be more attracted to the American if the Big 12 were to poach American schools than people think they would. Only because it's not not because of television markets to take that part of the geography out, but being in Atlanta is a big deal, and they've got a and it's a very, it's a big school. They've got a growing alumni base that a lot in this conference don't have. So I mean that's that's something to keep an eye keep an eye on as well, but. And you know, the largest I, I can, student population of any school in Georgia. I remember they they promoted that when we went to the game last year, and I was like, "Really?" And I asked someone, and they're like, "Yeah, we have the biggest student population in the state." I was like, "Ooh, well, that's interesting, especially for alumni base purposes moving forward." And they've done such a good job tethering themselves to the city of Atlanta, like way even way better than Georgia Tech has. I mean, you convert Turner Steel Turner Field into into a football stadium. Our our um, our, our our mutual friend Nick White, the voice of the Warhawks, may not like it, but it's still a pretty cool place to catch a game. And I like then, it. Um, I like it. It's unique. They're building. They're building that. Yeah, they're building that baseball. They're building that baseball complex in Olympic Park. I mean, that's. I mean, other than other than throwing um, Big Boy and Jermaine Dupree out there, that's about as Atlanta as it gets. <laughs> my so. man just brought up a JD reference. I was not ready for that. Oh my goodness. Oh man, that's good, bud. I like that. But 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 to your point, yeah, I agree with you. Um, it's going to be difficult for anyone to come out of the East um, unscathed. And if someone does, maybe that maybe maybe that pushes them in the New Year's Six picture. Regardless, but um, also uh, Luke Fickle's still at Cincinnati, so that's going to be a tough sell in and of itself right now. That's correct. So I, I think so. I, I think I think you're right. This may not be the, this may not be the path for the New Year's Six this year, which also then begs the question. Going forward, you know, how is that going to work? Because it feels like you're in a sweet spot right now because uh, Billy Napier is not going to be in Acadiana forever. That is correct. Let's go over to the West. A team that was talked about all the time. Like, I talked to multiple coaches for stories, Adam, and they kept bringing up one team over and over again, and I was surprised by it. They kept bringing up Texas State. They just kept bringing up Texas State. Like, they kept using Texas State as the example of how deep the league is and how close they were. You know, Coastal Carolina, they went through the same thing where they lost a bunch of close games the year before, and then the next year they win the conference. And I was like, 
and you and I talked about this. It feels like we've been having this, this, you know, feels like that conversation about Texas State, we've been having it for about five years, right? Oh, Texas State, they're really talented. Texas State, you know, and they're there in San Marcos and they're right there in Texas and they have access to recruits and the facilities are pretty good, yet they're always kind of towards the bottom. Uh, are you buying any of the Texas State Bobcats hype? Not right now, only because see, I call Texas State ULM with money. And uh, the, re- the reason I do that is because it's a lot of the same problems they have as far as, you know, institutional dysfunction on the inside, calcified leadership, all the stuff that keeps teams from winning. Only they're, they're that way despite having, despite what really should be one of the best, what I think should be one of the best jobs in this league, but it's not. And it's not ever going to be. I mean, maybe Larry Tease, the AD, going helps that a little bit. But there's just a bunch of people that have done it a certain way for a long time, and they're set in their ways, and they haven't adapted to their new environment here in in FBS. I mean, they've got. I think they had one. They've had one winning season since they moved up, and it's been all downhill since then. But you know, what the, to me, the interesting thing about Texas State is just you look at the dynamic of what they did in recruiting this year. They lo- they didn't they signed one high school player. One. Ooh. That's it. So this is either going to go this, and you know this is Jake Spavitol's kind of put all the chips on the table. This is either going to go really good or it's going to go really bad. And if it goes really bad, they may have set themselves up to continue to be really bad for a while just because of you know the, just because of how the, how these classes have shaped up. So to to me, like, and this is this is the one that's confounding to me. On you're talking about this this idea of somebody that should be better than they are based upon what they have. And we may not see it this year because they've got a new staff. But to me, that's South Alabama. I don't know how many coaches I've heard say this over the past couple of years that they look at them and they're just like, they've got really good players. Mm-hmm. But, but it, didn't show, it, it didn't show up on the field. Now, I think Kane Womack is going to – I think I think, there's, I think he's got a chance to really do something there. If you just look at the staff he's put together, Major Applewhite's there, um, Corey Batoon, the defensive coordinator – he he was um, he was at Ole, at Ole Miss with Hugh Freeze. I think he was at Liberty last year. And before that was at Hawaii. So I mean they've got a pretty good staff there, and you got a guy like Jalen Tolbert who might be the best player at his position in the league, a wide receiver. And there is just a lot, um, a lot, a lot of potential there. Now, I, now when you talk about new systems and new coaches, I don't I mean there's usually a transition when it comes to that. But I mean if you you look at the if you look at the past few years, that's the one that's always stood out to me is like, why, why aren't they better? I, I would agree with that as a Mobile native and briefly a uh, University of South Alabama student many years ago. It was briefly. It did not end well for your man. But I do wonder about that because look where they're at. They're on the I-10 corridor. They have easy access to the Florida Panhandle. They have access to Mississippi and Alabama and Georgia. They, 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 they're they right there where they need to be for recruiting purposes. They have a magnificent new facility, a new stadium. It, there's just no reason why they should struggle. And you, I'm glad you brought up the comparisons to kind of Texas State there, too. Um, let's talk about those new coaches because there's three of them in the league, and they're all, ironically, in the Sunbelt West Division, South Alabama with Womack. You have, of course, Butch Jones trying to kind of rehab his head coaching career after going to the rehab facility that is known as the Nick Saban School of Counseling. 
uh, for a couple years there in Tuscaloosa. I, I, I would have said I would have said Nick's home for Wayward Boys. <laughs> yeah, because he he rehabs them and shoots them right back out into society. And uh, Butch Jones obviously at Arkansas State, and then of course Terry um, uh, quote machine Bowden up there at ULM. Uh, let's of the three new guys, we already know who has the most challenging, and that's of course Terry at ULM, and we'll get to that. But who do you think could have the quickest turnaround of the three new coaches? Is it Butch Jones at Arkansas State, especially considering their success in recent years? You know, that, that's a that, that that's an interesting question. I think I think South Alabama's got better players. Oh, okay. I mean, Arkansas State, Arkansas State's got everything you want as far, from from a, you know a facility and a support standpoint. But it's like. Not, and not that they still don't have guys, but I'm trying to think. You know, when you think of South Alabama, you always think of somebody that can. You always think of somebody out wide that can go up and get get the football. And then you think of some demon of a pass rusher. Nobody in this league will be able to block. They don't have those things anymore, and they, they, they and they really haven't since Bradley King transferred to Baylor. So I think it's still out. What's this going to look like? You know, defense. You know, defensively, they're going to try to play like like that Pittsburgh, uh, Michigan State. You know, um, Mark D'Antonio type system. You know, offense they kept the, they kept the coordinator who was there, Blake Blake Anderson, last year mainly because the people Bush tried to hire uh, none of it worked out. <laughs> um, AJ a. Milwee ended up at Texas, and then Major spurned them to go to South Alabama. So I think I'm going to go Kane Womack here, even because everybody's going to be dealing with the same learning curve when it comes to new systems. But t- typically, the person with the better players is going to have the easier time. And plus, he was the uh, one coach that, you know, was rocking red sneakers um, boldly at Media Day. So that all, all impressed me. I even asked him about him. <laughs> He's also yeah. young, too. Young and, you know, um, and it, it could be. Like, he, he was there as a coordinator before. So he knows what they're about. They, they, he understands the challenges. And I think, especially with the staff that he's put together, I agree with you. I think he, he's he's of – the three guys, he's the one that probably has the the, the biggest chance to succeed. Uh, let's talk about the guy that's in your backyard. They they dusted off Terry Bowden. Uh, it's been a long time since he coached Auburn to an undefeated season, brother. That was a long time ago, very long time ago. I'm talking. I like, was in the third grade. Oh yeah, third. I'm a 36 year old man, and I was I was I was uh, I was a bright eyed and bushy tailed young man sitting in Mrs. Staley's third grade class with. Uh, probably some kind of starter apparel on. But anyway, let's continue. <laughs> I mean, look, Terry knows coaching, and he knows how to build programs and look at the job that, that he's done at other spots. And, you know, he's absorbing things like a sponge the last couple of years at Clemson. I get it. It's a big name. He's bringing in Rich Rod, which, you know, th- this ain't the same Rich Rod from 20 years ago, right? This, this is, and I could argue, kind of a, a broken-down version of Rich Rod, <laughs> you know, from uh, all the, the jobs <laughs> that he's lost. You mean the one? You mean the one that 16 years ago turned out Alabama and now is the offensive coordinator at maybe the worst program in Division One? <laughs> yes, and his son's going to be the quarterback. What you know? Look, we talked about this in New Orleans, bud. But what, look, and Terry kind of laid the groundwork for this. He's like, look, this isn't going to happen overnight. This is going to take time. But my question to you is: Is this kind of the last hurrah for for ULM to be competing? at the FBS level. If this doesn't work out with Terry and the staff and, you know, trying to re-energize the, the fan base and boosters and everything, like if it doesn't work this time, 
is, is this kind of the last hurrah before maybe dropping back down to the FCS level? I think so. I, I, I really do. Now, we, I think, and I think the drop down is inevitable. But they're not going to make this decision. ULM as an institution, they're going to fight as long as they can. I think this decision will be made for them. And with conference realignment spinning back up again, that could do it. But um, this, this is. This is not only going to be ULM's last hurrah, it's going to be Terry's last hurrah, too. He's made no bones about it. He wants to go five years, try to get this thing on better footing so then, so then maybe um, you know, the next guy can get it to an even higher level if that is indeed possible with what they're working with. Because this thing, so that nauseum people know it, like, it's really not about the coaching at ULM. There is just so much stuff that, this, that, that is wrong with this program from the way it is, is supported or lack thereof to just, you know, leadership at the top, understanding what has to happen for the, to be successful in FBS or if it's even possible with this model. So you got to go into it with that first. And, you know, they're, they're, they're going to give it a shot. Um, and, and, it, and it is going to, I mean, that's, like we, we talked about on your radio show, media, next year's going to be bad. And I'm not sure if year two is going to be any better. Right now what ULM fans are holding on to hope with is the unknown of this portal because they can't, because they're right now, so you can't say that they're good, but you can't say that they're bad right now either. Because you know, all hope springs eternal from what they've coming down to this transfer portal. So their best shot is to hopefully the guys they bring in are some kind of replacement level. Because again, it took an act of God for that team to be so bad as they were last year. Several acts of God: a, a tornado, a hurricane, a tropical storm, a global pandemic. But there was some talent on that team, and that talent is either matriculated to the NFL or it's transferred to other programs. It wasn't retained. So keep that in mind when you know you see what kind of struggles they go through this year. What is the the thought? Uh, I don't know, the buzz. Man, that's kind of an overused word, a term, uh, rather, Adam. What's the feeling there in, in, in northeast Louisiana about Terry and about the program and about the Warhawks? Well, among the diehards, it's always going to be optimism. They feel like it's finally been done right and all that, but those diehards are dwindling and dwindling each year. I think for the for the community at large, it's curiosity. They know, they know the they know the Bowden name. They remember Terry from Auburn and from his you know work in work in television. And they obviously the name Rich Rodriguez. So how is this going to work? I think that's the prevailing thing. And you know, but here's the problem. And you know, and you know this in this state and. It's something that it's something as great as the cases have been since Billy's been there. They deal with it too, and that's just the fickleness of this state for everyone. But that's not named LSU. So once these once these losses start piling up, I think that curiosity is going to dwindle, and it's just going to be, you know, March to see if West Monroe and Neville can get to the dome, or if we're going to the hunting camp. <laughs> I do like that, and you're right. And I've said this before on air, Adam. You know, because there's very passionate group of Raging Cajun fans. They're about probably, I'd say probably about twelve to 13,000 strong that will come to Cajun Field. And then everyone else is kind of bandwagon. And the problem is, is that the shadow looms large out of Baton Rouge. And it does not just apply to the Cajuns. Louisiana Tech has the same issue where they have alumni and they have people in that community that, guess what, go to LSU games too and stay at home to watch LSU games instead of supporting Tech. And ULM has the same issue, and so does Tulane. Exactly. It's just just the way it's it everyone, is in the state. It's, every, it's everyone but LSU. Everyone it but LSU. Not it, is not, it is not unique to any one entity. It's all of them. It's all of them. You're right. 
Um, Got to get your thoughts from an outsider's perspective. Uh, Billy Napier, what he's building here, this foundation. Um, they get a ton of returning starters coming back, a lot of those super seniors, plus they got uh, nearly half a dozen transfers from other Power 5 and Group of 5 schools to come in to add even more depth. They have some question marks. Who the hell is going to be the number one wide receiver for this team, being one of them, because they don't have a guy yet that's kind of assumed that role. And, you know, replacing two running backs who are now on NFL rosters. But they return a lot, uh, especially for a team that's had back-to-back double-digit win seasons for the first time ever in program history. Tell me your opinions and your thoughts about what Billy Napier's doing down here in my neck of the woods, and what are the expectations in your mind for the Raging Cajuns this year? Well, as far as what, what, what they've done, I think, I, think, I think what Billy's done is he's built the program that both personifies what the Sun Belt is. It's something we talked about, hinted on a little bit earlier, and it's that you know, you're, in, you're in a good location amount, amongst a lot of good football players right there along I-10. And, um, you know, and, and then they've done a good job of convincing them. It's like, hey, I can stay here, keep this local. I'll still be on TV, get a chance to win a ton of football games, go play at some cool places. And I, even if I don't have many, if I don't have any SEC offers, so I don't have to go to Iowa or Minnesota and Illinois and freeze for four years. And that's really, you know, what what they've done. I think that's what South Alabama is trying to do. So, you know, as, as far as this year goes, I mean, this is the year. Um, I think if I think if this is their, this is the Cajuns' best chance to get over that hump and finally win this league outright. And it may be the swan song for everyone involved, not just Billy, Billy Napier, Levi Lewis, you know, everyone. And, you know, I, I, can't, I can't say specifically what that will be because we don't know what jobs are going to come open yet. But, I mean, this feels like it's time. It, it's time. And if not, I think all you have to do is look at the cautionary tale of Billy's predecessor to see what happens when you stay too long. It's a fair point, bud. All right, I'll get you out of here with this because I know you got to run. Uh, they have the championship wrestling belt at Sunbelt Conference Media Days. It's given to the you know the the championship game MVP. It was on display. You rocked it like an absolute stud, and then I put it on, and I may have owned it even more than you. Some time has passed. <laughs> Are you ready to admit that I rock the belt with more flair than you do, or do you just want to come to a compromise and for us to create the greatest media tag team union in Sunbelt Conference history? Would you just rather us join together and create the greatest tag history in Sunbelt wrestling history? Well, and of course I'm never going to admit that. As far as your other request, if you, if you, if you would like to come and you know, join this aura of greatness and you know, fall, fall in behind, you're, you're more than welcome. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the kind of generous individual I am, and our relationship has been strong for quite a few years now. And that's that's what I'm gonna do for you because I'm a giver like that. <laughs> so if that's something you're you're interested in, we will we will 100 make that happen. Because I do have to say, for the record, yeah, we we both we both posed with the gold, but that was my idea. It I was, was when I was standing there with you and our future our mutual friend Paul Letlow. I said I'm about to go do this, and that and that and that and that is exactly what we did. So. Hopefully, um, you know, a young man in this conference will get the chance to hoist that belt here in a few months, and uh, I will fully admit whoever that individual is will probably rock it better than I (laughs) Adam, this has been a blast, brother. Thank you so much for your time, buddy, and keep up the tremendous work that you're doing up there at the New Star, buddy, and I'll see you later. Absolutely. We'll do it again.
That's Adam Hunsucker of the Monroe News Star. He covers the ULM Warhawks. Appreciate his time here on the Rap Game Podcast talking all things hashtag fun belt. That's right. Hey, if you missed any previous episode or you just want to catch up and listen to past episodes for a second time, feel free to do so. Go to 1037thegame.com, click on the Rap Game Podcast tab on our homepage, and all the archive shows are right there at your disposal to listen to at your convenience. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Thanks once again to Adam Hunsucker for making the time. And until next time, y'all be safe out there, be kind to one another, and I'll talk to you soon.